What's happening, everyone? Yeah, I look like I'm very close up on this one here. Did this uh, camera get adjusted? No, I guess it's a normal thing. Uh, welcome to Ex Unexpected Points, doing the live stream here on YouTube. So that's why I'm bumbling here a little bit at the beginning. I know I get more podcast listeners, and I greatly appreciate all of you there. I'm going to go through a review of last night, what we saw there. Uh, good game for the brand, for the hashtag brand here. Uh, as far as the results and different things that ended up happening. You know, I can't do too much victory lapping. There was the victory lap. Um, the victory lap market was a little saturated, <laughs> you would say, in economic terms. Uh, a lot of uh, is a little oversaturated last night with people victory lapping to Jameer Gibbs versus David Montgomery versus whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just can't do the victory lap thing that much. I mean, maybe if I was in. Uh, maybe if I was doing a lot more of, you know, fantasy football stuff or NFL, you know, picks and things like that, I could do a lot more of that type of stuff. But, you know, I just you know, read the stuff, get educated, and uh, it'll end up coming through in the end. So anyway, I'll review that. I'll talk about what's going to go on this weekend a bit, take your questions on those sorts of questions, and also talk about some, you know, storylines from the week, some things that are going on, some things that are percolating inside uh, my head here. Okay, so let's start with last night. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in on YouTube, I will bring up, for further edification, I will bring up my advanced review, which you can find, of course, on uh, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. You know, get up on there, people. Uh, published it this morning with all of the advanced metrics and everything else. You know, I go through it here, but obviously there's a lot more stuff on the website and more details on the website that you can get. So let's just go for the headline stuff. A 14-point win. Got a little bit tight in the second half. I guess at one point it was like two possessions. You can throw the quotes up there. Or, you know, less than two possessions at one point. Um, when they got it down to, I guess, 10, I think was it, um, when they did, when they failed on the second two point conversion, but still, you know, the win probability never got that low for the lions, a 14 point differential, but then it ends up being a seven point differential by the adjusted score. So it's a bit closer. And the reason that is, is the lions were successful offensively, 47% success rate, um, versus only 40%. For the Packers, but there were, you know, big plays that really went in the Lions direction versus going in the Packers direction. And then there were turnovers and negatives that were pretty high for the Packers. And, you know, I think if we, if we look at a long enough timeline, it probably doesn't fully encompass like how good the Packers are vis-a-vis -vis the Lions in that they're probably going to have more negatives from a Jordan Love led offense than a Jared Goff led offense uh, most of the time considering offensive line, considering how they're banged up there, David Bakhtiari going to IR and the Lions have a good offensive line. So yeah, they're, th this might not fully capture using historical rates for what we can expect from these teams uh, for turnovers going forward. But at the same time, it was a 13 points and change advantage that the Lions had over Green Bay when it came to turnovers and third and fourth down conversions. That's a big number. Um, and I guess my numbers are saying it's probably more in the range of, let's say, seven-ish sort of points for what sort of advantage that they had based upon the underlying success of the offenses. Uh, just to get into the details here for that, the Packers were three of 13 on third downs. The Lions were seven for 17. So the Lions weren't that much better at converting third downs. But the most impactful play of the game, and I list out all the most impactful play of the games in my write-ups here, in terms of win probability, was Sam Laporta 13.5% uh, win probability game, gain on the 35-yard catch and run that we saw in the first quarter. Uh, very important play there because you wanted to not only extend that drive, but to get way, way into uh, Packers territory. I'll talk more about Laporta a little bit later and why he fits into one of the, the, brand, the brand things that, are, that had gone well in this game. And the other impactful plays here, the interceptions, as far as EPA is concerned, the interception from Jordan Love in the beginning of the second quarter, I think it was the very first play of the drive. It may have been starting at their own 10 that Love was throwing a play action, going over the middle to Watson. 
Um, Alex Anzalone dropped back into coverage, tipped it, and it was intercepted. You could say there's a bit of luck or poor luck in this interception from Love, but at the same time, you know, he didn't get over the head of the linebacker. He allowed the linebacker to get a hand on it, uh, who was dropping into coverage. And it looked like Watson was just going to be surrounded on the play anyway on that one. Uh, Jordan Love struggles in this game is also a good thing for the brand. Um, talk about that again a little bit more later on this one. And if we're looking at it, what interesting thing for the Packers is they actually ran the ball okay in this game. They just didn't do it much at all. Uh, they passed it almost 80% of the time. They were dropping back to pass in this game. So there's a high expectation for how often they would pass because the game script was a disaster pretty early. You know, they were down 14-3 pretty early in this game. And then it got extended beyond that before we even got out of the first half. They were down a ton. Um, but they even passed at an expectation higher, a rate higher than that. They were even 7.2% over that expectation. So I don't know if that means a ton as far as your expectations for Jordan Love going forward. He had some pretty low volume games earlier this year, and this was a high volume game for him. So I'm not sure if Lafleur was looking at this one as, you know, one where they really had to put the pedal to the metal to come back and maybe that had something to do with it, but something, something to consider here. All right, let's talk David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs for you fantasy heads out there and others who just like to make jokes as I had, I had what I thought I'm going to say right now was the, um, the joke of the night. I know I don't have the the biggest following, so maybe it doesn't end up actually registering as the joke of the night. But uh, so my joke of the night was uh, now I now realize when Brad Holmes called Jameer Gibbs a positionless player, he literally meant he won't fill any of the positions on the field in the Lions offense. Um, so the joke there, of course, being that Gibbs in a game where the Lions had 42 designed runs in this game. 42. Gibbs had eight carries out of 42. He did have five targets, but on those five targets, four catches for only 11 yards. This is not like redefining running back usage and going down the field. I mean, I think even with uh, Bijan Robinson, who, who, who now apparently... I think the PR department on the Falcons has gotten out saying it's Bajon Robinson, not Bijan Robinson. I'm not sure if this is going to go the way of uh, remember Tyrod Taylor as opposed to Tyrod Taylor, how that really didn't catch on. I don't know which way we're going with Bajon, but I'll, I'll respect. I respect the man. Uh, even with Bajon Robinson, he's being used a lot in the passing game, but you know, he's not like running seam routes or something. He's not, you know, running post routes. Like I saw some clips of him in college doing it one time as he's generating all of his values. No, he's just doing like running back stuff, but doing it a little bit better. And in this game, like Gibbs's usage, they're saying, Oh, we're going to, there's another quote that was circulating last night is, um, Ben Johnson at the beginning of the season saying we might use him in some ways. His usage might be you know, like surprise some people in some ways people aren't expecting. Yeah, no, you're not, you're not using him in any way that people aren't expecting. Um, unless as my man, Ian Harditz joke last night, that the way he's, he's being used outside of expectations is you're just not using him. <laughs> we expected you to use him and you're not using him. So that's, that's the difference there. Um, but what I, what, you know, what, what chaps my hide a little bit, um, sorry, that's pretty, that's a pretty obscure phrase, phraseology there, but you know, what chaps my hide a little bit is slightly as I heard after last week's game, some commentary saying, Oh, you know, the lions got, the lions got roasted for their draft and, but look at the results. And I think some people are going to say that after this week, you know, Oh, everyone's roasting. Everyone's concerned. All the fantasy heads are concerned about Jameer Gibbs. Hey, the Lions are, are three and one and they're dominating in Lambeau and uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay. We, 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 our minds are big enough to like be able to separate bad decision over here and good results over here. And when the bad decision, in other words, taking Jameer Gibbs as the 12th overall pick, uh, maybe you can even say taking Campbell, the, the off ball linebacker early, although I, I kind of knew he would have an impact. I mean, I wrote about it. I said, Hey, it's not like a bad rookie year type of pick. It's more of a bad, like, like upside that you're going to get not taking, let's say a defensive back or a, um, 
or a uh, there's a lot of defensive backs in the back half of the first round, or maybe even a pass rusher. I don't know. Pass rushers get a little bit uh, iffy as you get further into the first round. Uh, but anyway, not taking less like let's say a defensive back at that point, or a wide receiver. Now they they got decent production from Josh Reynolds last night, but you know we'll, we'll see how long that that lasts. Um, you could say bad decision over here, good results over here, and just because you have good results over here which literally are not influenced at all by the decision, right? Jameer Gibbs, <laughs> Jameer Gibbs did nothing in this game. You know, by the, by the advanced numbers, by the eye test, by the volumes, by the whatever, zero impact in this game. Maybe slightly negative, again, because he got five targets and 11 yards on those five targets. Um, whether it's his fault or not, I'm not saying. But just like l- slightly negative EPA generated when he was targeted or when he ran the ball both when he was targeted and when he ran the ball converted one third down though third and two i'll give him credit for that um that we don't have to say it excuses or the the bad decision because of the the good results which are unrelated to the bad decision you know this lions team was good enough and they had a golden opportunity to get even better like we should be thinking does man this lions team is three and one they look great. They look like potentially a top 10-ish sort of team. And they had a ton of draft capital that they frittered away on a running back they don't even use. That's how you should be looking at it. It's like it could have been even better. It's it's very like, you know, um, myopic t- sort of view of like, oh, this, you know, Brad Holmes, why does he care? They're doing so well. Well, you should care. Like making draft picks, that spending a ton of draft capital on players who are doing nothing isn't great for your results either. Your results can be even better. You can be even better than three and one. Um, anyway, that's a little bit of my, sorry, sorry, a little bit of a rant there. But let's go back to another thing about this, this Gibbs deal is, I'm always very, very skeptical of they're going to break the mold. They're going to be using this different way, this and that. I'm much more like let's use wide receivers as running backs or let's use really, really fast, small players who you wouldn't necessarily see as being a running back as a running back to generate explosive plays um, and then rotate them. You know, forget this like three yards in a cloud of dust nonsense. Like that's that's an innovative way that I that can get down with. But to say we're going to have guys who are objectively worse pass catchers who are running backs, uh, who would probably just be wide receivers if they were really that great of pass catchers, and then we're going to use them and throw them out as being pass catchers. Now that that that's dumb. Um, just doesn't happen that often. Tyreek Hill was kind of like a a guy that broke the mold, I would say. So Tyreek Hill was he played a lot of running back. In college, of course, it was a very small school sort of situation. You know, he had a, he had his issues uh, in in college, to say the least, off the field. And so he he was someone who, like, from my general perspective, I would have been skeptical coming on the NFL and would have been a massive miss, of course. Uh, super fast though, but you know, not as skeptical as when I hear about these running backs who are going to be, you know, breaking the mold and everything they're doing. I mean, even Christian McCaffrey, you know, he ran the ball a shit ton in in college. Uh, generating, I don't know what it was. Was it close to 2,000 rushing yards or something like that in a season that he had? He's 10 pounds heavier than Gibbs. So there's still even a more translatable sort of skill set for someone like McCaffrey going forward. And I compare this to Mike McDaniel and what they're doing over there at the Dolphins, where they don't, they're not putting a wide receiver as a running back necessarily, but to say we're going to draft uh, Devon, this is another one. It's not A-Chain now, it's a Chan or something at Chan. I can't keep these things straight. Why do these guys like transition their names once they get to the pros is because they don't have like PR departments in college that'll do it the same way. So whatever, I'm going to say a chain because I can't even figure out what is, what the proper pronunciation is. But when it comes to a chain, who's, who's a small guy who's like, Oh, we don't want him. Um, yeah. Like getting someone outside the mold. Great move there by the dolphins. Also great move to let's do it for the, in the eighties for our pick, you know, let's draft him 80 something at the end of the third and the second half of the third round, not 12th overall. Um, but just props to McDaniel. I was, that was one thing I was going to write on in my commentary, but I didn't get around it and how he's really figured out this thing of like, why can't we just have explosive plays? You know, you're taking away our throwing explosive plays. Why don't we want to just concentrate on having a rushing game, which mimics more of a passing game where we have these little fast guys, 
well, little in the case of A-Chain, fast in the case of Mostert also. And then we also run, you know, we have Tyreek Hill getting involved potentially or Jalen Waddle getting involved potentially and saying, let's have an explosive running game too. Um, now you got to stop that. Not just worry about sitting deep and stopping the explosives because people figured out, and this is what like, like the general problem, this is like been a big thing for quote unquote analytics in all different sports is, you know what, let's take the high value explosive ish sort of play, even if it hits at a lower success rate is worth more than your intuition thinks, right? Three pointers, even though you make them less often than two pointers are worth more than your intuition thinks when you're just concerned with whether ball go in basket or not. Um, Baseball. Home runs are worth more than you think when you're feeling better about, you know, getting singles and doubles and, and uh, sacrifice bunts and, and being productive, like long stretches of, of being unproductive or uncomfortable for people, even if it's the best route to setting up the big play. Same thing in the running game. And I think McDaniel's starting to understand this, and I like it, is that you got to be comfortable with having maybe a little bit lower success rate running the ball. But if you can have these explosive plays, and that's what we figured out. And they, the defenses have really figured that out in the passing game. They said, okay, let's keep down these explosives. And we're going to have great, better results defensively. Um, but I like McDaniel saying, hey, let, let, let's turn it over and let's do it with the run game. But it's not necessarily in the way that people say is like you're going to invest a ton in your offensive line or invest a ton at running back. You don't have to. Like you have the Devon A-chain guys available in the third round. You can get like cheaper offensive linemen who can move around a lot better, who maybe aren't your traditional like true pass set sort of offensive linemen in order to execute this sort of offense. Um, it doesn't require you to like lean on the run game versus the pass game or anything like that uh, in a football guy sort of way. It's really just re- reimagining what you can do in creating explosives on in the run game because you just want explosive plays no matter where they're from. So uh, props to, to McDaniel on that. Okay, sorry, I got a little sidetracked here on uh, uh, doing this this game. Um, okay, Jordan Love. Let's talk about Jordan Love. I'll get to the numbers, the headline numbers first. 47 plays he was involved in. I'm not sure how many designed runs, but no positive EPA on scrambles or runs this game, which I think is the first time that's happened this season. That had been something that had been keeping the floor up for Love that went away. And, you know, unless you're a quarterback who's like Lamar Jackson circa 2000. And 19, 2020, where he's where he has like nine, 10, you know, he has between, let's say, six and 10 designed runs a game. You're just you can't and you can't say every weekend and week out you're going to be adding value on the ground. So that was something that was probably going to regress for love. And it did uh, in this game. He had a, he was losing a quarter of a point in EPA per play. This game really, really poor result after being third in quarterback efficiency going into this game. Uh, primarily the negatives are what held him down. He did okay. Like if you, if you say forget interceptions and sacks, which is kind of hard to do, but if you say forget interceptions and sacks, he actually did okay in this game. It's just for interceptions and sacks, he lost about 17 expected points. Big, big number there. And we saw this coming a little bit by my luck adjusted QB numbers that I put out earlier this week. I mean, he didn't fall a ton by this, but if you look at the metric here for where love was he would have been third in the nfl by his just headline epa per play numbers behind tua he had the second highest drop in his luck adjusted number which threw him down to number seven which you know it's still in the top 10 um it threw him down to number seven and the reason being if you go through his exact numbers here he had int luck seven two seven point two epa he should have been about worse by about seven EPA in INTs. If you look at his turnover worthy throws, which I think we FTN data had him charted as, as five of those on the season, only one actual interception. Um, now quarterbacks will average like 1.5 to two turnover worthy throws per actual interception. So it's not like he should have five interceptions on the season, but still only having one out of five was, was a benefit to him. Um, he had a little bit of drop luck. He's had fumble luck, which he again had last night. I think he did fumble the ball one, once last night and didn't lose it. So he had fumble luck, strength of schedule luck early in the season, and defensive pass interference luck. I think he's had three different pretty long defense defensive pass interference calls, which 
you know, how much credit you want to give the quarterback or not on those plays. Typically, they're either underthrown or they're thrown into tight coverage. So it's probably at least somewhat lucky and, and unsustainable to get that. So in total, he had outperformed his luck-adjusted number by about 16 EPA this season, which drops him down quite a bit. It, it takes away almost half of his expected points production so far this season, making those adjustments. So seeing the results that we saw last night, Again, you know, good good for the brand probably because I was skeptical of love in that regard. Another thing that I was skeptical of love about is the completion percentage, how his accuracy has been. You know, you don't always say, oh, accuracy, you know, is 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 going to you know, completion percentage, I guess, isn't a be all end all sort of stat that some people may have it as. I there's certain quarterbacks like Mahomes in certain years who definitely like plays in a way where he's not trying to maximize that completion percentage in order to give his players chances to make plays. But still, you don't want it to be negative. I think he had the worst completion percentage versus expectation, according to next gen stats, which accounts for um, defensive location and ball location and everything like that with tracking data. I think he was the worst after three weeks. He was actually a little bit better last night. Uh, he was above expectation last night, but he's still in the bottom five, negative 5.8% versus expectation. If you look at the guys who are at the bottom here, it's Justin Fields, um, Andy Dalton on a very low sample size for Dalton there, uh, Desmond Ritter and Anthony Richardson. I think definitely when it comes to Fields and Ritter, yeah, that, that matches the eye test for those guys and how they've been performing this year. So that was another hint, I think, if you're looking at him. If you're looking at Jordan Love and saying, mm, you know, maybe wasn't quite as good as his results so far. Uh, also, his PFF grading, for what it's worth, was middling versus top three EPA per play so far this season. Um, and again, you know, people just get really trapped up in the results-based type of thinking when it comes to either the Packers or Jordan Love. Um, I, you know, I had, to, I had to do a little data mining uh, on this one, but I did find... And you guys will probably enjoy um, NFL power rankings from CBS here. Should I shame whoever has this? Maybe I should. Uh, Cody Benjamin. Sorry. Bad luck for Cody here. Um, NFL power rankings. Jordan Love, number three. <laughs> NFL power rankings going into this week for, um, for amongst all NFL quarterbacks. Like, what the hell is going Maybe I got to read the methodology on this thing. Um, yeah, it's like. It's like um, the, the numbers are Mahomes, Tua. Okay, I, I can get with that, even though Tua might be a little high for my liking. Uh, Jordan Love, next. Uh, Justin Herbert. Brock Purdy, number five. Wow. Uh, Kirk Cousins. Who else we got in here? Who, who, who's on the low side here that I can make fun of? Um, nah. Stafford, 19. That's a little bit low, I would say, based on how he's played so far this season. Uh, Sam Howell. I mean, were you uh, were you in a coma last week when Sam Howell had the worst game ever? I, I kind of like Howell, though, so I shouldn't say that. Uh, anyway, it's a <laughs> that's an interesting Joe Burrow twenty nine. Okay, this must be just based on what's happening this this season. Okay, what what the hell? Okay, this this is yeah. I, I should just dismiss this and not even not even think about it, what's saying here. But if you want to look at like I have these Bayesian rankings for quarterbacks going into this week for 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 my numbers. And I had Jordan Love in number 24. So that's probably what we've seen as being quite low by some people. Maybe not everyone. Um, but I think that's a fair number for like what we've seen for him, especially when the even though he was third in EPA per play, there were a lot of peripheral stuff in there where he didn't look necessarily as good. So that was good for the brand. Um, I think also good for the brand is probably the fact that people were overrating the Packers period based upon the fact that the Saints like missed a very makeable field goal at the end of last week. I'm not sure how that happens. I saw the Packers at number 10 in the athletics power rankings going into this week. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Um, so my power rankings, where did I have the old pack? Um, there they are, 24. So 24th in the power rankings here, probably quite a bit lower, like being the, I have them below the Broncos who are 0 3 and below the Commanders, uh, below the Vikings. I think the Vikings have been legit, like pretty good this year. 
below the Patriots who haven't been obviously or one and two the the so you know below a lot of teams that others wouldn't have had them at but I think this is a fair number kind of by the underlying metrics for how good they've actually been so far this year uh, one last thing to highlight on the game last night uh, golf was golf whatever I don't I'm not going to highlight him too much but Sam Laporta let's talk Sam Laporta uh, I don't care about like how many games in a row he had with five catches. Unfortunately for the um, for the stat social media people, he did not get five catches last night. He only got four, so you can't say that he started his first four games with five catches. Now it's only his first three, so you got to put that um, somewhat meaningless or not as meaningful as people think stat away. Sorry, social media managers, um, but still four catches, fifty-six yards. Uh, he got about 80%, 60% of that after the catch. I mentioned he had the biggest play of the game, that third down conversion where he showed not really much separation, honestly, but he was being uh, manned up by Douglas. And is Douglas a safety? I think he's a safety, right? Or is he, is he a slot corner? Because um, he was also, he also got toasted. Uh, Rasul Douglas, he's a corner. Yeah, so he was being, he was being guarded by a corner on that play. Uh, man, he got toasted on that Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown. Big time. Um, so, so you know, not having separation, I get. But th- what you do is you get the ball in his hands, and then he can get some yak after that when he's being when he's being manned up by these uh, these tiny defensive backs. And again, good for the brand because I one of my favorite pieces of research from the off season was looking at tight ends. Look at he's right there in the in the picture. I have him in there as the headline picture. Looking at tight ends, and my favorite things were saying shorter area speeds, in other words, the 10-yard split of the 40-yard dash. I mean, it's pretty highly correlated with the 40-yard dash, so you can just look at that too. Um, And elusiveness. And I I do it as missed tackles forced by PFF's grading uh, per reception, I think I look at. Because yak is one thing. I think yak is like the result of it. But if the yak is all caused by scheme or speed, um scheme i don't care about because he's going they're going from college to the pros uh speed i do care about but i already am looking at his measured speed at the con their measured speed at the combine so like that's kind of accounted for the other thing that these guys can can bring is when they they force missed tackles whether it's through being elusive and just get going around it or breaking them um and laporta when you looked at these two if you plotted these two metrics side by side and I, well, I looked at past guys who have been good and you get a lot of hits up in the upper what was the upper right hand corner on this plot because it was plotting avoided tackles and things like that so let's look at if you look at the the bringing the two things together here um sorry i'm, I'm looking through still at the historical results here 2023 class sam laporta Boom, right up in the upper right-hand corner here in the in the neighborhood of George Kittle. George Kittle is up in that area too, uh, fellow, um, fellow Hawkeye. So one of the best 10-yard splits as far as on a percentile, ba- percentile basis, one of the best avoided tackle rates we've seen on a percentile basis. So he was a guy where my, my – um, like appropriately appropriately weighted confidence was like take one of these tight ends who is good at this don't draft anyone too early but i really did like laporta more than anyone else that's why i put him on the the image there i liked it from my very amateurish um eye test and he's been huge and it was really huge for this team although you know josh reynolds had some plays so i can't say they don't have anyone on offense but we saw when they were trying to rely on marvin jones in week 1 we all saw how pathetically bad that went and then you started to look around the receiver room there. Uh, you know, Jameson Williams, you know, obviously suspended. You, you, got, you know, got him going on there. You start to look around. You're like, oh, wait a second. We have Amon Ross St. Brown, who's excellent, but is also an underneath type of receiver. So he maybe doesn't make the defense respect down the field as much as you wanted to. Um, and then you just have some dudes. And again, Reynolds could pop up here and there, but you just have some dudes. So Laporte has been like a really key piece of not only giving you similar sort of underneath play and yak, but then also getting down the field. I mean, somewhat of a blown coverage last week, but he had that really long touchdown last week um, in getting down the field. So like a hugely important piece to that offense. And again, I'll give props to, to Holmes for drafting him, but I never complained about that draft pick. That wasn't part of why I said the Lions draft was bad. 
I was complaining mostly about Gibbs, but then also why not go for a little bit more upside than the off-ball linebacker in the middle of the first round, who you're also taking like way before where his consensus ranking was. That was another part of that thing. Um, all right. I think I've beaten uh, Thursday night football to death here. Um, let's get on to some of the storylines of the week. It's not really a storyline, but if you if you had a chance to check out my weekly commentary, um, which you may have. I'm not sure if you did or not. But I wrote about a tweet that came out from Stephen Ruiz. Steve, who I like. You know, I like Ruiz. I have a little bit of a rivalry with the with the ringer over there. But I think generally he does pretty good work. And we're talking about Twitter here. So it's always kept in mind here. But he had a tweet. Um, again, I'm still calling him tweets. I, I don't know what the hell Elon's calling him over there. But his was uh, a quote from Kyle Shanahan about you know, play action, the run game, getting to their spots, blah, blah, blah. And then his quote was Kyle Shanahan explaining the success of the 2012 Washington offense. And this is the inflammatory thing that you got to throw in if you're in, if you're in Twitter, right? Uh, says, I don't care what the research says. Still think the running game influences the effectiveness of the play action passing game. Maybe we're just looking in the wrong places for signal in the data. So what, what, I mean, what I'll say here is that it's not really like a claim I disagree with to say he still thinks the running game influences the effectiveness of the play action passing game. Okay. Like I'm not really against that. I think we have to go back in time a little bit here and like rewind and to see how the framing of these arguments changes when we talk about run effectiveness, play action, all this sort of stuff. There are two claims, two football guy claims that would happen in the broadcast booth, in the pregame, uh, you know, studio, when they're sitting around and every single person has a, this revolutionary idea of the fact that the team's got to run the ball more. Uh, in the analysis, on sports radio, wherever you're going to hear it, where the, the claims were, number one, you have to be, you have to have an effective or a good running game to have an effective play action passing game. So like that was really like the definitive statement that was being made. By the football guys. This is first. This is like the first thing that happens. That or you got to establish the run. The good old establishing of the run. Once you establish the run, then it opens up the passing game and the play action passing game in particular. So we've seen research from Ben Baldwin and from Josh Hermsmeyer attacking those two different things. And what that research basically showed, and this is the way that I would frame it and I think is the proper way of framing it, is saying that very overconfident kind of conclusive claim that was um, accepted amongst cer certain circles, um, there's not evidence to back it, okay? In, in, the, in the terms of statistics, what you do is when you're trying to, to prove something, you don't actually prove that it's true necessarily. You're... You, you, you prove it to a degree. It looks you're confident enough to a degree where you think that you can what they call rejecting the null hypothesis. So the hypothesis here from football guys is, let's say you have to have an effective running game to have an effective play action passing game. The null hypothesis is you don't have to have an effective running game to have an effective play action passing game. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to find enough evidence to reject that, to say, you know what, that there, we, 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 can, we can confidently, and they have like degree of certainty and P values and all that sort of stuff if you want to get into the, the nerd shit, um, that you can reject it. At what level you want to reject it? Normally it's a 0.05 uh, P value is like the threshold, but then the problem is you have like, what they call p hacking which is you just do a bunch of work until you finally get something that's under that value and then you say ah we found we found it but then it doesn't it doesn't work out of sample and you can't replicate it and all that sort of stuff um but anyway so you know baldwin did some research where he essentially said let's look at the best running games let's look at the play action success they're having so i'm not sure what he used for play action success maybe like the delta between how good the passing game is with and without play action and then for the for the how good a running game is, it probably was EPA per designed run. And it's just a bunch of noise. There's no like real correlation there. So that was the conclusion. And I think what's happened either through the fault 
of nerds communicating it or a misinterpretation, in my opinion, of the results is we went from saying that the football guy opinion shouldn't be believed to be fact, you know, saying you need this, you need X to get Y shouldn't be believed that that to be fact to somehow everything's flipped around. And now it's the research and the nerds who are making the overconfident claim that the running game effectiveness has no bearing on play action effectiveness because the results don't show a correlation. Now, just because the results don't show a correlation by this measure, for me, it doesn't mean that it has no impact. Like it doesn't mean I would not be making that strong of a claim on it. But now, like, and maybe this is like a rhetorical sort of thing that people want to do um, because it makes it easier for them to be on the right side here. And it makes the nerds look overconfident in making, you know, outlandish claims. Now, somehow, you know, we're on the defensive and it's us having to prove that there is absolutely no effect on the play action passing game by how well you run. And that's something I don't think is really a, you could even prove and B is even true necessarily. Um, and the reason being is, and this goes back to my general thing of like, all models are wrong. Some are useful. So why are models wrong? Well, one of them is your, your inputs, your variables that you're putting in there. You're trying to capture something through those variables, but you don't directly capture the the hypothesis, what you're trying to test for in the hypothesis. If you're saying effectiveness of the running game or having a good running game, having a strong running game is what the claims would be, those types of words. Um, you need that to have good play action. Like what does a good running game mean? We can use EPA per design run, but if we're thinking on a molecular sort of level of what the phenomenon is we're talking about whether or not a defense is reacting differently in a meaningful way that has an effect on results to one running offense versus another running offense whatever they're reacting to whatever perception we're we're thinking that they may have whatever they're talking about when they're like oh we really got to stop the run versus this particular team um how, like, how aligned is that with EPA per designed run? I'm not sure it's that aligned. Uh, there are lots of running games that are not really as good. I mean, the 49ers being one, let's say the 49ers were 11th in EPA per designed run last year. No one's ranking them outside the top 10 as far as strong or good running games by perception, right? So like using EPA per design run, doesn't really capture what we're actually trying to measure. I mean, it's close. It's like directionally pretty close. Like the teams that are good in EPA per design run are kind of more likely to be seen as being perceived as being good running games than those that are at the bottom. But it's not like a one-for-one -one relationship. It may not be the best relationship. I think volume probably matters a lot in perception of how good a running game is how much a team is just able to run the ball and put up counting stats um, and that doesn't come through really in epa per design run so it, it has trouble measuring that and then i also found a pretty good article suppose this guy works for the ravens and i want to give uh props to someone who who commented and left this article uh let me bring it up here and i'll of course i'll, I'll for those listening in i'll mention it um Let's share this, this old tab. Rogue Football Analytics is the name of the website. Um, the gentleman here is, where's his name about? Does he have his name on here? Andrew Rogan. Um, BA in Quantitative Economics, Middlebury College, 2019. Formerly at Army football player. So he's, he's with the Ravens now. So the blog is officially retired where this one is really some nerd shit. Like he's really getting into a lot of the stuff here about rushing success, leading to improved play action effectiveness. And I, what he does in here is he mentions some of the things that I'm mentioning where he thinks, he thinks we're measuring the wrong things. Um, but not only as far as what's like a good running game, but he focuses most on, and I'll just flip through this for anyone who's watching. Like you see, there's a lot of nerd shit in here. He focuses most on, 
the the other measuring incorrectly the the variable of success what means success in play action passing because what he says and i think is interesting is that he looks at lagging success so he does look at epa he does use that same that same variable but what he's really looking at is let me see if i can find an exact plot that he has on here to talk about it is the effectiveness for crossing routes and other routes versus routes down the field. And his, his theory that he postulates here is you have to really divide that stuff up because the effectiveness that you're having in play action is going to affect linebackers who have responsibilities that have to go fill their gaps, which will open up certain areas of the field. And you know, that has also come through somewhat in research and someone's Doug, Doug Analytics is mentioning it here, is to tracking data to look at how much they bite on that. Uh, uh, Eric Eager has done some work there looking at tracking data there and looking at how much the linebackers bite. It's part of the same phenomenon where that's really where things are happening, where theoretically, now again, uh, theoretically, uh, the, 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 the third level of the defense should not be affected. Their responsibility should not be as affected by play action passing. Now, safeties do have some responsibilities when it comes to like wide zone and others of, of gap responsibility far on the outside, but you know, the deep safety at least, or the deep corners, if we're talking about corners who are also dropping back a bit um, in some of these defenses, they theoretically should not be affected by the play action. They are, you know, they're, they're looking in the backfield, <laughs> I think that they're affected by it, but theoretically they shouldn't be. Um, But when he divides it up, he says, Oh, there's a much bigger, we can kind of get like a bigger effect of looking at running effectiveness versus uh, play action success. If we just look at like middle of the field, more middle of the field, more intermediate throws stuff that'll affect the second level of the defense who really should be affected by, um, by play action. So I think that's really good. And he finds something at a meaningful-ish sort of number. I think the p-value is 0.1. So it's not, you know, the industry standard sort of 0.05, but whatever. Again, I don't really care about that sort of stuff. Um, He also points out something here, which I think is interesting, is he's showing that there's a lot of noise um, by, you know, if you look at the metric, in other words, the R squared is very, very low, but that doesn't really rule out the results. I agree with that too. I mean, this is football here. Everything is like extremely noisy. So if you can get a statistically significant relationship and enough data to back that, even if the R squared is low, you know, that's what we got to work with. That's what we got to work with. Um, but also important in this is if you look at the the coefficients here, when we're talking about mean, okay, these are, well, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong table. So less than 10 yards to target. This is the one that that he's really looking at here. If you look at the the mean the coefficient here for mean rush EPA lag, the estimate is 0.08. So for every mean EPA rush, like over or above expectation, I think um, the coefficient there is you multiply it by point by 0.08. And the intercept, so this is just like without, like everyone start somewhere is 1.37. So you know, it's roughly what would that be? roughly 150 something 160 times more bigger uh, i'm sorry 16 times not 100 <laughs> wait is it 16 yeah 16 times um bigger than the effect of the 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 rush itself so like it still shows even if it's a statistically significant sort of thing um it still shows to me Actually, I'm looking at the, maybe I'm looking at the wrong one. Am I looking at the wrong one? No, no. It still shows to me that, yeah, there's some statistical significance. You can maybe throw in this lag. I guess it has 0.1 here for the coefficient in another one. Um, 0.15, you can go up on some of these. So, you know, he's getting something there, but it's still very, very small versus the kind of like general effect of play action that would apply to across the board, whether you're good at running or not. And I think that's really the big takeaway. It's not rushing success or ability has no effect on play action. It's just, it's small, most likely because we don't see it in the main numbers. Even if we segregate it in a way to try to really dig in on a specific thing where it would have an effect, it's still small. Even when we find something, it's small. So we have to ask practically, 
even if okay, even if we can say, oh yeah, it has a very, very small effect, it's much smaller than what people think it has an effect. And if that's the case, now we have to say, like, what decisions are we making based upon this knowledge that we have? So if we now know that it has a small but significant, statistically significant effect, how good you are running the ball, how do you change your behavior? I mean, we're all trying to, all teams are trying to run the ball well, right? It's not like teams are saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to try to be bad at running the ball. So all teams are trying to run the ball well. So what are ways practically that you can run the ball better? And what are the opportunity costs if you're doing that? One, you know, you draft more specific running, like offensive linemen who are good at run blocking, uh, running backs who are good at running the ball. But then your opportunity cost is you're not doing as much on passing. Uh, you could say we spend more time game planning running versus, you know, you only have a certain number of hours in the day. There's an opportunity cost. You're maybe not game planning as much for, for passing. You could say we run the ball more often, maybe, if you want to say like running volume is your effectiveness thing. And that's what a lot of people say, establish the run. This is the main problem with establishing the run is, well, if you're going to run the ball more often, you know you're taking a per play hit on your efficiency there, almost certainly. So that's your opportunity cost. So I guess it would say to me is, even if we we say that it has an effect, A, it's most likely very, very small. And B, I don't think it reaches the bar for saying it exceeds the opportunity cost that you would have if you try to practically implement, like, let's lean into having a better running game in order to get this play action success. And that's the main takeaway. Nerds, I'm going to represent all nerds here and say, we're not trying to say it has no effect. It's just probably not enough of an effect to justify the opportunity cost moving away from passing. That's it. I know. Not a hot take. Not a social media take. Not a good uh, debate take. Um, but, you know, those are typically the best actual reality type of takes. All right. Um, we'll go ahead. I'll post in here to fire up Q&A as we talk about... Um, in here for you know if you guys want to talk about the weekend in particular i looked through um actually crap i don't have my numbers up here anymore on this um i looked through the weekend numbers to see it's not good podcasting here to not oh i do have them up okay so i still have my numbers run from the week where i'm looking at my power rankings versus the point spread uh adjusted for home field advantage a little tweaks here or there what are we looking at is there anything that's that's much much bigger than you might think on this one well despite the fact that i've kind of liked what the the um the vikings are doing i do think at and this again this is this is for this is for entertainment purposes only i want to put on here you know i'm not like dedicating my life to uh figuring out the proper odds on all of these uh these things where how come i can't find something where it has uh, just oh here we go because I want to make sure I have all the up to date game odds here. So Vikings Panthers you can get this Panthers is four or four and a half. I mean Vikings by four or four and a half here. Panthers four and a half at home looks okay to me. I mean but I was lower on the Vikings going into the season. I've been actually very very high on what they've done so far this season. Um, but that still looks like a bit much for me. But I guess Bryce Young is starting. So I don't know. Maybe that takes it away for me. I'm not even sure what to think. I'm kind of hot. I don't think Young has been that bad as his numbers, but that's one at least that popped up numbers wise. You guys can make your decision on what you think about uh, Bryce Young or not. Another is there is the Bears. I don't know. I can't. Can he do the Bears? I don't know. Is it three and a half? Can we still get three and a half on the Bears? Oh, God. Yes, you can get. Oh, and a minus 115. So it's leaning a little bit. That's not really there anymore. It's more like three, which really kind of kills the value on that sort of one. Other than that, not a whole lot going on. Um, I have the Niners. Oh God, the the line is. Oh, well, actually, I know. I sorry, I don't have the Niners. I have the Cardinals. <laughs> I can't. Oh wait, the problem. This might be a model problem though. Like anytime someone is favored by, is it fourteen points? Fourteen points. But I kind of like it generally. I don't think the Niners are as good. They're not as good in my power rankings. Um, people, people are gonna hate the Niners in my power rankings. They weren't as good going into last week. They're not as good coming out of it. I still have them as fifth behind the Eagles, the Dolphins, the Chiefs, and the Bills. And some of it is because of the adjusted quarterback stuff that I mentioned where Brock Purdy's had four fumbles. He's only lost one of them. 
He's had a bunch of turnover-worthy throws. I don't think he's thrown a single interception this year, but he's had a bunch of uh, interception-worthy throws. And their success rate offensively has not been that great. They just have had a lot of big plays. Now, maybe they're going to continue to generate a ton of big plays offensively for this team, but I'm not quite certain of it. Um, and, you know, I don't know if they're going to put pedal to the metal in this game also. Uh, I mean, Josh Dobbs, I have very low confidence in Dobbs and what they're doing uh, over there, but... I mean, hell, if you wanted I, that, that might be the, my favorite, at least you get it at 14. I mean, 14 and a half would be nice. Uh, you get it at 14 and you might even get it minus 108 here. It says at um, bet rivers, whatever you, you can get your normal minus 110 on that plus 14. That gives you a lot of outs there. Two touchdowns uh, on the road, though, for the Cardinals. So not great. So if you have any other games you want to ask about or any other questions, go ahead and uh, fire it up here. I don't see a lot, though. I don't see a lot going on in, in the comments. Um, establish the pass. Thanks for the content. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I don't see, don't see a lot going on here. So anyway, I know I've rambled on for about 50 minutes here. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the content. Go ahead, uh, give a follow on here. Make some comments in the future here. Uh, go ahead and subscribe over at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. I'll have all the advanced reviews to you uh, I definitely have the early games on Sunday night, maybe the late games too on Sunday night. And then normally I try to do Sunday night football on Monday morning and then come out with you with another podcast on Monday morning, wrapping everything up. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in and listening. And I'll be talking to everyone. Good morning. Good morning.